horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always happy to have you with us. And I'm always happy to have our producer, Eric Ryder, with us. He's manning the board. He's looking at all those idiot lights there, but he's the one who's not the idiot. I'm glad to have him around because I don't know what they mean. And we are here to talk to you today and with a gentleman named Jeffrey Mark. More about him momentarily but this is an exciting episode for us because it's oscar time and there's a lot of buzz around nomad land it speaks to stirrings of the american heart and the heartbeat of america all the places that we can go and of course it harkens back to route 66 that's just absolutely fundamental to people who want to take to the open road to discover america yes but to discover themselves as well and it led to other shows like moving on remember that one from the 70s i'll even throw in bj and the bear there i said it there's a lot to talk about road trip america and finding oneself on the open road that's what we'll be talking about today with our special guest jeffrey mark and we will get to all of that very shortly this is american road trip talk we'll be back after these messages Visit Ridgeland presents the Art, Wine, and Wheels Weekend, Friday, April 30th through Sunday, May 2nd at the Renaissance at Colony Park. The weekend includes the Ridgeland Fine Arts Festival, Natchez Trace Century Ride, the Run Now and Wine Later 5K, and the first-ever Friday Night Kickoff Party. For more details on festival artists, wine samplings, music lineup, and children's activities, go to artwineandwheels.com and follow Visit Ridgeland on Facebook. Hashtag Visit MS Responsibly. Hi, everybody. This is Anthony some happy days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome our guest, Emmy Award winner and Grammy Award nominee, Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey has been called a walking encyclopedia of show business history. I've talked to the man prior to today, and I can attest that that is no exaggeration. Jeffrey, a singer, stand-up comedian in nightclubs and cabarets, an off-Broadway veteran. He also has hosted radio series, written comedy for several stand-up comedians, and writes and produces documentaries and reality shows for cable television. Jeffrey also has written three best-selling books, including The Lucy Book and Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. And so for the first time, and certainly not the last, we welcome Jeffrey Mark. How are you today, sir? 
Wow, what a guy. I can't wait to hear what this guy's got to say. Good heavens. He sure sounds entertaining. That's for sure. And you know what? I apologize, Jeffrey, because I did a copy and paste on your bio, and I said you've written three best-selling books, The Lucy Book and Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. What's book number three? Uh, Ethel Merman, The Biggest Star on Broadway. Oh, my goodness. That Now, that's a legendary entertainer and the star of uh, Ernest Borgnine's life for about a week, as I recall. Uh, there are wonderful stories in the book that detail their 48-hour marriage. It was only 48 hours. Wow. Legally, 28 days. In reality, 48 hours. See, when you hear about a guy like Jeffrey Mark, he's the go-to guy. I have been told by a famous Hollywood publicist that if you need to verify information or make him an original source, you can do no better, particularly when you're talking to a historian of Hollywood and show business generally, than to talk to Jeffrey Mark. Big time programs on TV that cover the entertainment world many times will not do a story until they have verified the facts with Jeffrey Mark. So we are privileged to have you with us, Jeffrey. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And this is especially true come Oscar time because Nomadland is making all kinds of noise. And I don't know if it's the favorite to win Best Picture. And Frances McDormand, a wonderful actress. There's just so much talk about how emblematic it is for Nomadland to be so popular and to come our way now when we've been beset by the pandemic and people are just yearning to get out on the open road again and see America. I think that's true for the moment. However, if you look back in Hollywood history, almost going back to silent films, there has been something intriguing for Americans about getting in a car or getting on a plane or getting in a train and going someplace. And I think the fascination starts because before the great world wars, we didn't travel very much. Sometimes people didn't even leave, leave their neighborhoods to go across town, never mind leave their state or leave their general area. It, it just, it, it became obvious to producers that every time they showed people going someplace, people flocked to the movies. And then eventually they caught on that this was a thing, a motif. And maybe the best ones to point to are the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Dorothy Lamore road pictures. Uh, how much more about the road can it be to have the name road in the title? We're fascinated with it. We are. And while we're talking about road in the title, just last night, I was thinking about how much I enjoyed the Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Well, I think Bing Crosby got uh, top billing most of the time, as I recall. But anyway, Crosby and Hope, they're doing their road pictures, including one, as I got thinking about it, at least one involving America. That's the road to utopia. And I believe at that time, Alaska was not yet a state. It was a territory. It was a territory. It, how those things came about, it, it's it's such serendipity. We think some brilliant person sat down and said, ooh, we're going to do a series of films and we're going to star these three people. It, it didn't come about that way at all. Paramount was the studio. Bing Crosby was one of their major players. But it was Dorothy Lamore who was the big attraction. Of the three She was the glamorous movie star in a sarong that they figured people would flock. Let's find a way to get her in that sarong 
and get our heroes there and make the movie about her. And she had the good songs. Yeah, that that lasted for like a picture or maybe two before uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby completely took over. And uh, it, it became a different kind of thing. It became a buddy series, two buddies on the road who sooner or later would run into Dorothy L'Amour, but it was about the two buddies and their adventures together away from home. You have set this up perfectly, Jeffrey. Thank yeah, you. Okay. I'm the king of this, yes. Yes, you are. When it comes to being on the road and the concept of a buddy movie or a buddy TV series, perhaps in, in television history, the most iconic such programming would be Route 66, which amazingly I discovered was filmed on location as they traveled around the country. This was not all done on a Hollywood set. Not at all. Not at all. It was it was a, brown, a groundbreaking for its time because they, they had that wonderful car and you have two young, handsome, supposedly virile young men. And they did indeed go around the United States shooting this thing on location, mostly on location. Very little was done inside of a studio and it caught on tremendously. If there had not been strife between the players, it could have run forever. And Route 66 seemed to, as I was looking through the episode log just yesterday, it seems that it was such a popular show and it had a dynamic all its own to such an extent that some major people from current times and not current today, but people who were current stars at the time and people from earlier would show up in these episodes and there would be that dramatic tension and quite a bit of comedy at times. I mean, imagine a TV show that started in 1960, ended in 1964, and yet could boast the likes of in one episode, I believe Robert Redford was there at various people who'd been around the industry a short time or a long time. And they also had Boris Karloff in a Halloween, uh, it was a Halloween themed episode. And Peter Laurie was in that one and Lon Chaney Jr. I mean, for crying out loud, we're talking about American television in the 1960s. There were a couple of TV series. Route 66 is a really good example, but also something like Naked City, The Twilight Zone. When the world knew that there were episodes of dramatic TV that were really well written and really well produced. Then these actors wanted the work. They wanted to go on and play. They wanted to have the fun. They wanted to have the ability to play these varying characters. And you had someone like Robert Redford on his way up doing things like the Twilight Zone. And, and this before becoming a major movie star. And then you had the other side of the coin, the Peter Lorries and Milan Cheney Juniors, who had already had long careers in film. And now they were looking for episodic TV for really juicy stuff. Route 66 was brilliantly produced and brilliantly written. It, it, it should have lasted a whole lot longer, but for the stars of the show, uh, Martin Milner, was a wonderful guy, a good actor. He'd been doing it since he was a kid, but some of his co-stars had some problems. And eventually, because you're shooting this on the road, there's no room for problems. There's no room for egos because it costs money. And uh, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. That would be a very, now that I think of it, a very expensive show to produce because you're just going out there among the people and creating this on the road theme, which was, now let me see, what was that? Uh, it seemed that uh, 
Variety magazine called it a semi-anthology series. It's the sort of thing that would be quite rare at any time in TV, but I don't know if you could do that kind of thing today. It would be hugely expensive to do it. I think they called it a semi-anthology show because for those of you who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, 1950s TV had all kinds of anthology shows, meaning it was a different cast every week. It was a theme. Maybe the theme was horror. Maybe the theme was strife or medicine. But the players were different every week. On Route 66, you had your two leads and that was it. There was nobody else in the show from week to week but those two guys in those bucket seats. So it was kind of sort of an anthology show. They could write anything that the two guys could drive into. And it worked. It worked really well. It and, worked. And, 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 yes, not just for, and not just for drama. You'd mentioned there were some episodes of Route 66 that were comedy. Let's go back maybe 10 years before that. Perhaps some of the most iconic shows from I Love Lucy were when Lucy and Ricky and Fred and Ethel were driving across the country from the Upper East Side of New York to Hollywood. And the adventures they had driving across middle America in the 1950s. People loved it. Loved it so much that they took the road to Europe the next year. You just put me in mind of the long, long trailer. And there you have it. This idea of being out on the road with all of the fun and all of the precarious situations in which they would find themselves. One of the things of road pictures, road television shows, just road stories is if you have a good writer, the characters can come across anything you can find that would be reasonable in the United States or in Europe or in Africa, wherever they're traveling to. You can do anything that way. And most of what you would write back then, the audience at home wouldn't know if it was realistic or not. They'd never been. They were looking to you, the production company, to provide them with a thrill they're probably never going to have, you know, they're in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they're probably going to stay in Little Rock, Arkansas. And if you go to the big city, oh boy, here's a treat for us because we're never going to see it. And I think that was some of the fun for us as an audience sitting at home watching these things, the films, the television shows is they took us places out of our own problems, out of our own strife and into adventures and fun and Maybe some problems that we're never going to face. And thank goodness for that. But we can watch them get out of it. And with all of that, as you're indicating, yes, there would be a vicarious thrill to it all. And a lot cheaper if you're sitting in front of your tube watching it or spending a little money to go to the movies and you can have something of that that experience. Hey, for, for, for Bing and Bob and Dorothy L'Amour, for 10 cents, <laughs> you can go to yes. Morocco, you know. You can go to you can go to you can go anywhere you want in the world for 10 cents. And yeah, maybe it wasn't realistic. And yeah, you don't know if any of this is actually accurate, but it took your imagination all around the world for a dime. At TV, uh, you, you saw all of this for the cost of a television set because the uh, programming was free in those days. And with that, if we advance push fast forward here for a number of years and not that many route 66 became the inspiration it seems to me was that true directly you would know far better than me jeffrey but 
when you come to a show in the 1970s and there's a trucker craze going on, I can see some studio executives in Hollywood saying, OK, now, you know how well Route 66 worked. That was a dynamic program and it, and it uh, didn't have a very long run. But man, was it powerful during the time it was on the air. And despite whatever problems, they must have said to themselves something like, we think that we can co-opt this and adapt this trucker craze and come up with a show, let's call it moving on, and we'll get a couple of sturdy actors who can become very companionable as they go from place to place and help people solve their problems while they're seeking adventure. I, I don't know which came first, the trucker craze or that show which caused the trucker tra craze, but uh, it was a lot more controlled. They learned their lessons from Route 66. Hollywood did that, yeah, we can shoot this all over the country, but maybe not quite so far. So most of Moving On was shot in California, and a lot more of it was shot inside a studio. But it's the same general premise. Get two healthy strapping guys, put them in a moving vehicle, and take them places. And it did cause a craze. If you were around in the 1970s, all you had to say was breaker, breaker, or pretend to talk into a CB radio, and people began to laugh because it was so popular. <laughs> I'm laughing now. And yes, I had another phrase, catch you on the flip-flop and all this sort of stuff. And that happened, and then it seemed to get pretty quirky and comical, though I can't, uh, I have, in the interest of fair reporting, I did not watch the show. But along comes BJ and the Bear, and this was another one that lasted two, two and a half seasons. Now you've got a chimpanzee in on the act. Yeah, yeah, high class TV. Um, this, this is this is what they did. They they found something that worked. Let's get a young, handsome, strapping guy. Let's make sure he takes off his shirt every couple of episodes. It has a reason to flex his muscles, and put him in ridiculous situations for the humor. Let's throw in some some glamour and some sex, and see what happens. Well, what happens is you have a couple of years of stories. And that's about it. And then another series comes along with a strapping young guy who takes off his shirt and goes and has adventures. It, it, it becomes a, a model of shows that they can plug into their programming and, and get some mileage out of. The 70s were a very, very harsh time for television because cable TV was starting and the original CBS, NBC, ABC companies were starting to be bought out by corporations where you didn't have real broadcasting TV people choosing stuff. Now it becomes, what's the money? What's the money? What's the money? So they would find something like road pictures and go, okay, we can do that 17 different ways. And then you saw 17 different shows that lasted a season and a half because they didn't know what they were doing. It was good fill-in TV that uh, had its, its flair and its moment and then... You didn't see them anymore. You, you have such a granular appreciation of all this, Jeffrey. Um, I can see the uh, grand table up where they make the big decisions and the TV gods decided back then. I know what we need. We need a Fred Silverman. And then all of a sudden you've got the package and there are going to be certain inescapable elements on the pathway to rating success. Well, Fred Silverman, you're mentioning a name. Fred Silverman had come along and really, really, really sort of redid CBS. He's the guy that uh, brought us things like All in the Family and, and sort of helped TV to grow up. 
then he went to ABC and he did the same thing, big successes. And then he went to NBC and laid a giant egg. And that was the end of Fred Silverman programming networks. Uh, so things like BJ and the Bear were, oh gosh, not the quality we were looking for. Happens, it happens. And also, no matter what your premise is, and this is just true in show business, you have to have good scripts. You have to have good actors. You have to have good directors. If your production company isn't superior, your product can't be superior. And Route 66, to go back to that, had tremendous talent behind it. The producer, the directors, the writers, and, and really good actors all the way around. The leads and the people who came to play just for one week. The other shows we're talking about in the 70s cannot boast the same thing. Their lead actors were not at the level. Their directors were people who had done sitcoms and people who had done a lot of episodic TV, but not necessarily with excellence. If you take away the excellence, the show can't be any good. The Bob Hope Bing Crosby Road Pictures, Paramount Pictures, three great talented stars, good comedy directors, and not only the writers that Paramount provided, but then Bing and Bob had their own comedy writers who would doctor up the scripts with gags for the two guys. And even Dorothy Lamore got into that because she realized if she was going to survive, she better pitch them too. So it has to be there. If the talent isn't there, just an idea by itself does not work. And since the 70s, it's been done again and done very successfully when the people are talented. That the talent needs to be there. The writing does indeed need to be strong. My personal opinion is that you maybe you can. I don't know. I'm not the expert, but it just seems like I will be far less interested in a movie if what it boasts mainly is CGI, as they call it. And, and thank God for the computer and what it's been able to do. But you still need that strength of writing. And it's nice to have a good director. Look, you can have all these individual elements. You can have good looking guys to take off their shirts. You can have beautiful women who wear bikinis. You can have a great sunset or a great location. But if the actors aren't very good, if the scripts hardly exist, if the direction is mundane, if they're more concerned with finishing by five because they've got dates to get onto, the show is gonna be junk. And sometimes that's what happens. Even with a good premise, I, I give you guys enormous credit to choose this as an idea to talk about for a show because that road thing, I mean, Laurel and Hardy, the Three Stooges, Lucy, uh, Thelma and Louise, how many different times is the concept of a, people who love each other, usually friends, not family, who travel and have adventures? It's, it's run all the way through show business. And I don't know of anybody else I've talked about this with. So good on you. Well, thank you, Jeffrey Mark. I would like to have you back sometime very soon after the Oscars. I would like to know how Nomadland does. There, it's It's got a landscape both cinematically and in public consciousness, it seems to me. There's an awareness about finding redemption, not just simple adventure, though that's nice too, but also this idea of finding purpose and meaning to one's life by being nomadic. And that is part of the American story as well. So I'm going to wait to see how all that turns out. And we would love to have you back to discuss that in its full context. So I hope you will rejoin us, Jeffrey. It's a blast talking to you. 
anybody who uses that many nice adjectives before my name can have me on anytime they want. I can get my ticket punched accordingly. Outstanding. Jeffrey Mark, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, Jeffrey. We'll talk again soon. Great pleasure. We will be right back after a couple of messages, one of which is going to be delivered by me right now, and then we'll hear again from Anson Williams. Here's a compass alert, everybody. Chart your course to visit Alliance, Nebraska. Fun, safe, family-friendly, and pet-friendly activities, too. Make Alliance one adventure you and your family don't want to miss. Come for Carhenge and stay to experience our many other free attractions, craft brews, and local dining. Yes, all of our attractions are free. Shop along our historic brick streets. Carhenge is a 2020 Top 10 Worldwide Award winner by TripAdvisor. Unique, quirky, and a pop culture icon, Carhenge is open year-round to visitors who love to experience something different. You won't find a two-scale replica of England's Stonehenge quite like this anywhere else in the world. Our little slice of country is your place to relax before you head to the hills or mountains with all the small-town charm your soul needs. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. 